0: There was a time when secularism was feared in the church as the coming challenge of our day. Now it's here. What do we do when secularism is the norm as it is in Australian cities? How do we engage cities that have little memory of Christianity? I'm Michael Crane, and this is Mission City, a podcast about the urban revolution and how the church can serve the city. I'm a researcher and writer on the intersection of cities and the Christian faith. My guest this week is my friend, Dr. Chris Swan. He's the director of church planting for City to City Australia. He's passionate about helping people ensure God's grace shapes their lives. Loves walking alongside men and women from all sorts of different backgrounds who are planting churches in Australia and New Zealand. He lives in the inner North of Melbourne with his wife and two children and holds a PhD in theology. He also co-hosts a podcast called Conversations of Grace. Hi, Dr. Chris Swan. Thank you for being a guest with us. Um, Chris, welcome to Mission City Podcast. We're glad you're here. Oh, thanks for having me, Michael. Really terrific to be here. Uh, so just as an introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and how you came to know Jesus.
1: Yeah, well, I'm an Australian, as you can hear from my accent. Uh, I live in Melbourne in Australia, uh, and Melbourne is one of my great loves. I love the city. and It's a lovely city. Uh, Convinced that God loves the city, and I, I'm I'm not a native. I didn't grow up in Melbourne. I moved from Sydney about 12 years ago, but it fits me and my my family, and it's home. And our hearts are here. I'm married, married to Natalie, who we moved because she uh, started a, a PhD in anthropology down here, and we have two kids who came along along the way during during the PhD ten-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl and they're all the things that kids are wonderful challenging refining sanctifying I'm, I'm an Anglican minister as well although I I kind of have a sort of general license rather than I'm part of a, a local Anglican church but I'm often involved through my my work uh, with City City Australia in a lot of other kinds of churches and uh, so Yeah, but I I mentioned that partly because you you asked me about how I came to Christ, and uh, it was through a local Anglican church, actually. I was a kid, uh, four or five years old, with lots of questions. I've never grown out of that. I've still got lots of questions, but uh, I was asking my parents questions, and my parents not believers, not churchgoers uh, at all, and they didn't have answers. I was asking about what happens when you die, who is God, what's God like, this kind of thing. And... Our one of our neighbours where, where we lived was a member of an Anglican church, an older woman, and she encouraged them to send me along, get get someone else to answer his questions that you can't can't answer. He, we've got a program for kids; you can have the Sunday morning off even. And my parents weren't weren't quite that trusting. They came with me for a while and were involved in the church for a bit but then gradually disengaged. But I didn't. Uh, I enjoyed what I was learning there. So I enjoyed that and gradually put together the kind of picture about who God is and, and me and my, my sin and need for salvation and Jesus. I was about 12, I think, and I remember very distinctly, uh, I don't even know what passage we were reading, but the thought went through my head. If Jesus died for sin, that means he died for my sin, And if he's been raised as the Lord of everyone, that means he's my Lord and I guess I should like do what he says. Uh, Okay. And so I guess that was a kind of, I had all the information. It just needed to sort of hit home and personally God sort of grabbed me. And that was, that was the moment. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. You
0: you said Melbourne is a good fit for you and, and, Less so Sydney. Yeah. How would you describe
1: that difference? So I don't know if this comparison will work for our listeners, but in lots of ways, Sydney is the people. People in Sydney dress to show off their body, right? There's beaches. There's they get outdoors. There's fitness. They they you know people dress to show off their bodies, and they're they're tanned sometimes artificially, hair bleached sometimes artificially and it's you know beautiful and the city itself is just incredible like the harbor there's nothing like it i don't mm. think in all the world it's just spectacular i mean and and gloriously ugly as well like the buildings kind of crowd down onto it and everyone wants to get a water view and it's you know there's this kind of ugliness to that as well as the natural beauty melbourne doesn't have that right melbourne melbourne is you live indoors a lot because it's it's kind of rains a lot it's mm. Uh, a cooler it's actually got seasons in fact so many they say if you don't like the weather in Melbourne wait five minutes and then it will change Uh, we have seasons all in one day but there's something about it that because it doesn't have the natural beauty of the harbour you know it's got a river but it's brown and polluted and not very nice Melbourne is it's kind of you people dress to show off their clothes like there's a kind of culture and art and fashion and um the foodie sort of scene and cafes and art galleries and and street art and it's it's kind of it's got an energy that that really appeals to me it's you know it's yeah it's the equivalent of having lots of you know piercings and tattoos or something it re- really kind of does the natural thing doesn't do it so it kind of enhances and embellishes and and some of it is adventurous and you kind of go, hmm, not sure about that building, but, uh, or that public art installation, but uh, love, love the kind of spirit. Yeah. And
0: yeah. Yeah. There are plenty of ways in which this doesn't work out, but San Francisco and LA kind of have some similar. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. I would say yep.
0: LA being more yeah. like the Sydney yep. and San Francisco yes. being yes. a little more cosmopolitan. Yep, I would say I'm yep. biased towards San yep. Francisco, so there's no way for yeah. Look, not and you've found, got you've got yeah.
1: streetcars, we've got trams. Oh, like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's the there's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, you've done your own theological studies mm. uh, all the way through mm. a PhD, and yeah. you are in this work of equipping church planters. What can you tell us yeah. about that? That part of your story?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways, it's a happy accident or, or God God's fingerprints on it because it, when I began, we didn't have the luxury of many of my peers to go go to some prestigious, you know, theology. You've got to go to Scotland, right, uh, or mm. from Australia to the States. Like They're there's the places to go mm. and we couldn't do that. Um, so we, we, did, we did something here and what that meant was I could retain a lot of my connections. Uh, I was serving in a ministry. I could keep doing that a day a week. And I, I had done some training with City to City just for my own interest and to kind of uh, grow and, and develop professionally. And kind of at the end of that, I knew the, uh, the CEO of City to City Australia. Uh, I'd been involved at his church when I was in Sydney and uh, he knew me and he knew that I was doing a doctorate. And he, for a while, our City to City training was accredited through uh, some seminaries and therefore needed to be taught by someone who either had or was doing kind of doctoral studies to be mm. adequately qualified to teach it at the level we were teaching it. And so we said, do you want to come and work for us? And I said, yes, that sounds <laughs> great. It was a good fit. I, You know, I've kind of been involved in various uh, ministries where training of others was a thing, and so I sort of enjoyed that and um, seemed to be okay at it. Like like the sort of cohort, small cohort sized thing where you can kind of help people wrestle with not just ideas and theory, but the practicalities of their context and and what's facing them now, and you know halfway between I guess lecturing and coaching. So it was a it was a great fit, and have kind of grown with it. We grew. I was one of the first employees of City to City Australia, and there was I think four of us at the time all part time okay. you know i think yeah. up, maximum up 3 days a week and now i'm full time we've got 20 staff like it's just there's opportunities coming out of our ears and it's it's wow. exciting and uh, i've been able to focus now more on church planting probably in some ways not really using my doctorate heaps like i studied discipleship in karl bart okay. um the the phd content itself and what i'm doing don't link much but the question that got me going on on the research to start with is the same question that I kind of live and breathe almost every day, which is about discipleship, um, but not just discipleship in the terms that it often gets framed as—you know, doing more stuff, you know, being Christ-like as communities, doing life together—all things I believe in. But but the question I had about it was, where does where does the what's the engine room of that? Where does the power for that come from? Particularly because in the New Testament, the language of discipleship, I think, does some interesting things, a little bit different from what the discipleship industrial complex that churns out books about it and ministry material sort of emphasises. And it kind of moves close to the sort of union with Christ idea. You think about John's gospel and Jesus saying things like, if you're my disciples and if you're my disciple, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, which is like that doesn't sound like life on life kind of just doing more stuff. You know, it sounds like kind of some sort of organic connection with Christ and, and that changing us in some deep way. And, and so I guess how, how that Christian life through the lens of discipleship connects with what God has done in Christ to rescue us, unite us to himself that what we do now and what God has done linkage is the thing that uh, I was interested in trying to sort out a bit through my research and city-to-city city church planter equipping. It's it's what I get to help them with. And really uh, the thing that drew me to city-to-city to city in the first place is a very uh, clear and strong emphasis on the the grace of God in the gospel, what God has done in Christ, is not just a thing that happened back there, but continues to have ongoing relevance and empowers the Christian life at every step of the way.
0: Um, let's look a little bit just about the context you're in. Um, Australia, City to City also engages with New Zealand as well. So how would you describe the spiritual climate of Australia, and maybe New Zealand. I'm not sure how much you can speak to New Zealand, but,
1: you know. Yeah, and I probably probably shouldn't speak too much to New Zealand. uh, As we've begun to do some things there, New Zealanders frequently communicate that. um, They say, you know how you in Australia feel about Americans, which is they're doing great things, but we know our context and they don't really know, and that's how we feel about Australians. And so they they kind of see us doing a bunch of things, but they they feel like we don't get their context, and we probably right. don't. But Australia, I can speak about a bit, and uh, you know, have been here all my life, and have a sense of some things. I guess uh, spiritually, uh, the culture in Australia is, I mean, it's it's a it's a definitely a, a cross cultural mission situation from even what it was when I was growing up and kind of beginning my my. Christian life, uh, twenty plus years ago, where where there's a an increased kind of uh, hostility towards the church and suspicion, um, partly for some good reasons. There've been um, major inquiries in Australia into um, f- kind of failures of institutions like like churches to respond adequately to sort of child sex abuse playing out in their yeah. midst, and and so there's there's kind of mistrust. Uh, of of churches and church leaders, and institutions, um, there's a kind of probably yeah like uh, there's a very rich history and heritage of of Christianity in Australia, and books continue to be written, you know, that that trace out the the ways in which. The, the church and the Christian message have made positive impacts on Australian society in terms of the institutions we enjoy. You know, we universal education, universal healthcare, um, a whole lot of other very significant contributions made by by Christianity historically, but the kind of contemporary secular post-Christian thing tends to say, well, yeah, but you're not making a good contribution now and why, why do you still enjoy the benefits of thinking your voice should be heard and, and mm. privileged? Why Why do you, you know, ch- churches get some tax breaks, um, partly, you know, recognising that um, because of our commitment as a nation to things like universal healthcare and universal education, the government can't actually deliver that all themselves and so look to church-based organisations along with others to to sort of step in and fill that. And, and so there's there's various kinds of tax breaks that people hate. You know, in my neighbourhood, uh, when I go into the city, I catch a tram and there's signs everywhere. We've got an election coming this week and there's signs up everywhere from the the Reason Party, that's what they call themselves, saying tax the church, tax mm. the church. that The church should stop getting special treatment because they might have made a contribution in the past but they're not helping now in ways that we can see or want and, in fact, actively resisting lots of the things that are going on that we want to see as as causes to be advanced. So there's a, mm. yeah, it's, it's it's secular kind of late modern Western culture uh, par excellence in lots of ways. You know, I was speaking right. to a friend just last night who lives in a, not, not in Melbourne, in a, a regional centre or one of the sort of second tier cities in Australia and they sort of moved there to, Get a bit of country life away from the kind of corruptions of the city, and uh, his his daughter has just come home saying, "Oh, my best friend at school's a trans girl," and that's just like I mean that's extremely common in Melbourne and yeah. increasingly, um, and and tells you something about where things are at. They just passed some legislation in our state late last year where um, kind of. They called it the Change and Suppression Act. So you're, you're not allowed to, on the basis of someone's uh, sexuality or gender identity, call them to change that identity or to suppress that and not not express that in in any way, because it, they say it causes harm. There's a bunch of um, kind of signalling going on in the legislation, and it's it it's yet to be tested in the courts. But what's most interesting to me about it is what it tells us about what's what's changed in the situation. And it, it particularly names language of brokenness. You can't describe someone as broken in their sexuality or identity. And that's interesting because even a few years ago, Christians were pretty excited in my part of the world on, oh, yeah, if we talk about brokenness, that's a good way to communicate what we mean by sin that gets past some of the cultural sort of um, Blockages. Yeah. But no, no, we're learning, and this legislation tells us it communicates something quite different uh, judgmentalism, negativity, that we think a particular class of people are especially wrong and need fixing and need to have the gay prayed away or whatever it is. And to me, that's, that says a lot about where Australia is at spiritually. Um, although at the yeah. same time, People are super open, right, like including I, I li- live here in a neighbourhood where my neighbours, I think, on almost every side are, are same-sex couples. Mm. But no one looks at me and hears that I work with a church agency and goes, oh, you're a hater. I yeah. don't have anything to do with you. They're like, oh, what's that all about? People are curious. but People are like, oh, wow, what's what's with church? And you work help starting new churches? How... <laughs> Is there demand? You build a lot of buildings. Like, what's the demand for that? And and people just kind of open and curious and um, interestingly, even perhaps make common cause with Christians in some surprising ways. Mm. Um, And so it's just a real mix, I think, here in Australia. It's um, you know almost like a like a jacuzzi or a spa bath. There's like bubbles of hostility, but there's other stuff swirling around in there as well. And it's yeah. It depends where you are. I mean, if you're in the media if you're at a university, you probably feel a lot of hostility. In other places, you probably feel, oh, you're a Christian? Well, sure. Indifference. Right. I'm struck
0: by the fact that, I don't know, the story of your coming to faith, mm. that mm. your parents' default was, well, let's take them over to the church to answer some of these big questions. And yeah. I think probably yeah. at this stage in Australia
1: mm. and yeah, parts of the United States that wouldn't be the default anymore. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're very and certainly. I mean, my parents had a degree of suspicion, which is why they came with me initially. Given that yeah. spiritual climate
0: as sort of our base, mm. you're mm. now you know what your neighbors are curious about. You're actually starting new churches in this yeah. you know yeah. place where there's this rich Christian heritage. Um, mm. How have you seen God work through church planters in? Tell us some stories that come to mind about this. Yeah, and and in the midst of it, maybe describe the mm. process. How do you equip church planters?
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's kind of evolved, and partly through seeing some of the church planters that we first started working with, need asking for more help. Yeah, I mean we've seen seen some pretty great things, uh, and and lots of ways we just feel like we're playing catch up with what what God's doing we we do seem to have there's a bit of momentum in melbourne at the moment uh there's really great uh so a couple of guys got involved in some training uh with us they were brought along by their pastor the big independent baptist church in the western suburbs of melbourne which is generally less well served by churches and uh, less well resourced a bit more diverse multicultural um, and usually uh, kind of Sort of dormitory suburbs, but there's a kind of people. They were they live there because it's close enough to the city that they can get in by to commute to work, but it's not so close that they can't afford to live there and buy there. But they don't they don't want to play there. They go they go down the coast or or further out on the weekends because it's just houses and not particularly nice place to live. So anyway, big Baptist church was planted 30 years ago there. Uh, and he he brought along two of his promising young leaders to some training with the intent of sending them out to plant a new, a new thing because demographics had changed in the area and um, there was not much going on in the kind of part of the city sort of adjacent to where this Baptist church was. And, yeah, they launched in 2019 with about 70 people from that church. And uh, interestingly, these... Uh, guys sent out from an independent Baptist church had gone to a seminary where they'd been kind of uh, basically convinced about sort of um, perhaps a slightly more Presbyterian or Anglican kind of understanding of certain things. And so I think on about week four of the church plant, they baptised all the kids and and now they've become, ended up after a couple of years, they've become officially sort of Anglican ministers. You know, which is interesting in itself, uh, but what was kind of wonderful about it was just how this Baptist pastor who planted this church 30 years ago and sent out his two best leaders just was like, you know, he, he feels the the pain and weirdness and goes, what, what? what? why would you do that? But also is <laughs> just delighted that, well, look, they're reaching people that we never could. I mean, God's been very clearly in that, in that the church has just grown pretty quickly, like they, they planned to have four weeks of sort of soft launch preview sort of things, experiment with things before they could settle on on how they were going to do church and in an ongoing way and they had heaps of new people come, people becoming Christian. They were meeting in the uh, footy. Footy's a big thing, football, Australian rules mm. football. Um, the footy club, the footy club said to them, yeah, you can hire the, Kind of venue space in the footy club on a Sunday morning. If you come once a month to to our Saturday game day and do the barbecue, which is not American barbecue, it's just like sausages grilled on yeah. grilling. That's it. You come to do the grill, and and we'll for every hour you do the grill on the Saturdays, we'll knock off a certain amount of the price. And the church planters are like, yes. Like we we want to connect with the community, <laughs> right? And, and we're, we'll come everywhere. I mean, like, and they basically got their venue for free, and now uh, you know one of the planters is invited in as the chaplain to the footy club. Okay. he you know, got all sorts of opportunities to to minister at kind of key turning points in people's lives in the community through that, and it's just been really quite amazing. And this is you know you think in a secular progressive. Church's suspicious sort of situation this this is like the, almost the opposite of that at the at the ground level in these relationships with the, with this trusted you know if there's an institution that's trusted in Australian society it's it's still sports clubs, footy teams, yeah. and even though they've had some of their own issues. and they, here they are welcoming a church in, forming really positive partnership and and really um, enabling things to go forward there in some pretty great ways. Um, mm. So that's, that's, been, that's been pretty interesting and exciting um, to see. Here's another one. So, uh, yeah, City City emerged from uh, the ministry of Tim Keller in New York City, uh, kind of Presbyterian context in Australia has been particularly associated with Anglicans out of Sydney and Melbourne who uh, have more sort of generally evangelical, reformed kind of character, um, even in Sydney, perhaps Sydney, Uh, evangelical Anglicanism is a bit um, maybe defines itself over against charismatic like it's from the home of Hillsong and so if you're there you're either a Hillsong wannabe or really not Hillsong and Sydney Anglicans are not very not Hillsong by broadly and yet uh, what we found in City to City as we've just built partnerships we've been able to work with people who are kind of quite different and uh, what one of my favourite things is a church planter who's uh, a Pentecostal who's got involved with with us, and uh, he had me come and preach there early on in our partnership. He he was kind of he was on a call praying praying for with some other pastors, and sort of said, um, "I'm I'm got some training elsewhere. I'm not going to be at church for three weeks. It's a Pentecostal church. If I want someone to preach, I just hand them the microphone and they'll say something. But if I want someone to preach like good stuff, I need to." You know, I don't know. I don't know who I can ask to do that. Do you guys? You know, can you pray about that? And we all prayed about it dutifully. And then we offered. Everyone said, "Well, look, I've got a lay preacher at my church, or I could come. I'm free that morning." Or and I, I went, and I preached, and I did my very best to contextualize to a kind of Pentecostal church. I, I brought my most energetic self and presentation. And at the end of the service, one of the uh, one of the leaders came up to me and said, "Wow, you're obviously gifted as a teacher as well as a preacher." And I think I know enough about Pentecostal culture to know what that means. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if 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 I didn't know already, the next person said to me, "I loved how you just kind of uh, started. You just had a really humble tone about you." And I'm like, "Okay, thanks." Um, and then the guy and in the car park afterwards who came up to me and said, oh, mate, I loved how you started in a monotone. And <laughs> I just I burst out laughing and he's like, no, 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 I did. I really appreciated it. Um, but obviously that church culture and how they operate, very different from me right. and is reaching people who are very different from me and just beautiful to kind of walk alongside that church planter, see him wrestling with things. You know, he's talking with us in training about How do you you show the gospel isn't just moralism, um, but it isn't the opposite either? It's not antinomianism. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I get that. I've done the readings. I understand that. That's really true and powerful and important. But I can't say that at my blue-collar Pentecostal church. Like they'll they'll think I've just sworn at them or something." And so he's like, "What's what? You know, he's wrestling through ways to express this and communicate it, uh, and and doing a great job of it, actually." so much so that that we're learning, you know, us bookish PhD types are like, oh, maybe, maybe we could find some easier, more clear ways to communicate this. And and to see kind of, he, he's now ha- having planted one congregation among sort of um, more working class, blue collar types. He's planting another thing, kind of younger professionals, you know, a bit more of like a business district. Uh, and, and just to see him Doing a really great job of applying the things he's learned, helping other people in his team get hold of it and really run with it in ways that you know look and sound very different from what we started teaching, but are, are share the the same commitments and DNA and um, and yet yet make sense and live within that that quite different yeah. uh, context, and and are therefore connecting with with people who are really different and who wouldn't connect with my kind of. Boring, monotonous <laughs> Anglican thing. Um, well, that's the and beauty that's just pretty of it, exciting. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And mm. that, you know, we need these different. Like, I'm more with you. I'm in the like. Oh, you're really more of a teacher, aren't you? Kind of preaching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And people respond well to different mm. forms, but yet they need to hear Christ, and so that's yeah. exciting. What are some common obstacles that you have come across yeah. in equipping church
1: planters. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the key obstacles among the church planters we've worked with, more bivocational and whatever, we've tended to work with those who are sort of done three or four years of seminary. They maybe have worked as um, assistant ministers in churches or youth ministers or something like that, uh, and then are kind of considering planting. And, and one of the, the challenges that they've faced is, they either have to plant on their spare time, right, so they're, they're fully invested in a church context, committed in leadership there, and and maybe maybe the, the senior leadership of the church is very happy to say, yeah, you can consider planting if God's calling you to that. That's great. Um, you still have to do all the things that, that <laughs> are part of your role and, you know, you'll figure out how to do that other thing. And so then what happens is they do that for a little while, they get frustrated they go okay i'm just going to plant i've found one or two people who are kind of on for this with me and and we'll do it and they jump out of a full-time role in which they're planting in their spare time to a full-time role in which they're planting and and usually if they can get some funding the funding kind of starts to come pretty like they have to start doing the thing they have to launch services they have to they have to kind of start hitting metrics if they've got a grant that has that built in as criteria. And so they they rush things. They go too quickly. They don't give it adequate thought. They, they don't work carefully to build a team and, and, I guess, you know even deal surface expectations. So I was part of a church planting team um, before I moved to Melbourne where there was a bunch of expectations that started to surface, but then we launched really quickly and no one had really worked through those things. And within 18 months, those pe- expectations weren't being met, that, that hadn't really been able to be properly articulated. And people got frustrated, resentful, disappointed, angry, and things fell apart. And so, you know, I think just not, not adequate attention given to team formation, to, to kind of going back to the scriptures and reflecting on okay what is it that the church is and needs to be and yeah. what is understanding the context what is god doing here in this neighborhood and where might there be open doors and where does who we are as a team match and where do we need to to grow and pray and and ask god to send more workers or things you just don't give adequate time and attention to that and but i then had a planter who was an independent didn't have a denomination or a network he was associated with, just ascending church. And he said to me, look, I knew what I wanted to do because I'm kind of wired that way. I've got some convictions. I'm a church planter sort of person. Um, And I knew when I had a problem and I had coaching from city to city and that helped me to kind of, you know, deal with and workshop problems as they emerge, troubleshoot, that sort of thing. But I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And that's all, you know, that's all the way from the compliance stuff that I was mentioning before that's a, right. a feature of the Australian landscape. You know, you've got to register in certain ways and fill out certain paperwork in order to have a bank account that has proper financial stewardship and governance and a board. Yeah. And, and when do you do that? And and if you don't do it early enough, then when if you get a grant, they can't pay it to you. They have to pay it to your sending church and then that can get all murky and... um. I, I didn't know what to do, and I, I was like, "Oh yeah, we haven't, we don't really help with that." Um, and partly, like, my initial response was, "Well, we work with lots of different kinds of planters who are doing things in different contexts and with different models. We can't, you know, we can't do what some church planting agencies do, where you get the Asana project and you fill in your your name of your church plant and your start date, and it gives you all the steps, and you just follow them." Tick, First step one, step two, step yeah. three, because we, we work with lots of different models and we, and I was very high-minded about it. And then I, I reflected on it and was like, oh, we're just not really helping <laughs> and maybe we could help a bit more. And uh, so we've really developed a, a way to help, which is that we, we now have some cohorts of people who are sort of in that early okay. preparation stage where you, you don't really know what to do perhaps. And you're in a cohort with people who are quite different from you, different contexts. We've got some material from Fuller Seminary's church planting certificate, which we now kind of have a formal partnership with them about, that doesn't give them the step-by-step, you know, just follow this, cut and paste and and produce a church at the end, but gives them um, help with the key obstacles. And so effectively we're trying to equip them with that. How do, you, how do you read and understand a neighborhood and get its rhythms and right. where its gathering points and who are the people who will introduce you and open doors for you and, and what's spiritually going on here? Where's God at work? Where are the idols that, that need to be kind of spoken into and called out and people released from? And help them with that, understand doing that, that work. Um, yeah. No matter, no matter what model you're pursuing and you know how do you gather a team how do, where do you find people what do you what do you pray for them what do you how do you recruit them how do you invite them in share share the vision give them roles disciple them in that whole process so so these are the kinds of things that we spend a year together on and and it's just it's really beautiful that you celebrate wins together you mourn losses you pray for each other and and the relationships continue beyond the year uh, and really form the sort of seedbed of some beautiful sort of collaborative networks in in all sorts of different parts of of Australia. So that's you know the, that's kind of where we've got to so far. We're still learning and and tweaking and developing, and um but yeah, this this the, those those common obstacles are the things we've really tried to to say how how do we provide a way to help people with them?
0: Yeah, that's really great. Now um what right. would you say are characteristics of the city that impact mm. the church planting process yep. that might yep. that might differ from kind of I don't know you know a whole whole bunch of church planting literature seems mm. to have been mm. written for american suburbia or something like that right um right. and so what would you say yeah you have to sort of unlearn from that stuff and then mm. relearn for the mm. uh, city context, particularly the cities that mm. you're working in.
1: Yeah, this is a great question, and something I've, I uh, come back to over and over again. partly I mean, what's interesting about Australia is it's very highly urbanized. At the same time, it's very suburban even so I live in an in inner north of Melbourne. Which is like maybe we fondly wish we, we we're like Brooklyn or something. It's it's like you know urban cool culture <laughs> setting, and yet it's profoundly suburban as well, right? We, I have fruit trees in my backyard. It's mm. a suburban neighbourhood. You you know, um, and yet you walk less than a kilometre, and you're on a kind of. Cafe, shopping, main strip, and that's partly just how Melbourne works in that we, because we have trams and they work out along radials in the city, yeah. you kind of get the the spines, if you like, are very urban, and then you walk a block and it's suburban. You don't get to choose one or the other. And in the the 1980s and 90s, people sort of left. Um, If you had money, you left those urban areas because there was... Uh, poverty and crime and things like that people it's cool now people have moved back it's gentrified we're probably on the third wave of gentrification even in my own my own suburb in the next sort of ring out and so it's 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 got kind of some of that vibe the street art and there's still you know people who are um, in various ways kind of broken or marginalized and and yet there's also a kind of a wealth and so that's just that's interesting and challenging and uh sometimes you have to kind of look for where are the where is the need like i i felt like in we had lots of lockdowns in melbourne where we, we like to boast before 2020 that um, melbourne was the most livable city in in australia if not the world And then we became the most locked down city in the world for a Mm. while there. We had lots of um, lockdowns and harsh restrictions. And on my street in the first lockdown, uh, the power went out at one point, just something had happened at the nearby sort of power station, and everyone kind of poured out of their houses onto the street. And it was like the first time we'd sort of seen each other for weeks and and my wife Natalie kind of said oh well, we're here let's do a covid check in how's everyone going does anyone need anything and people just sort of shuffled their feet and and went back inside as soon as they could because it's kind of that middle class self-sufficiency yes we might have needs and there's lots of needs yeah. you know all the stats will say mental health all you know, lots and lots of needs, abuse, domestic violence, everything, and it's not limited to one demographic. That's quite suburban, in my view. You kind of go from your air-conditioned car to your air-conditioned house with as right. little time as possible in any sort of yard, um, and and just everything's behind closed doors. And some churches set up like a kind of okay, we nominate a house in each street where we have people we put a deep freeze there and and let it be known through letterbox dropping or whatever. The, some some streets have a you know a bit more community. they have a sort of street whatsapp that you kind of other parents can check in. Are my kids in your yard? <laughs> and you know put let it be known in whatever means you can that there's if you need a meal, you can grab one from the street freezer kind of thing and it means that no one has to sort of say, oh, yes, I need one and, and kind of you can mm. identify that you're needy Yeah, you can still have, have needs met. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's just a whole, there's the, it's, you have to work at some of those things and you have to have to, there's sort of hidden things and this is all f- it, like actually equipping church planters to with the tools and the sensitivity and just getting them out there, particularly after COVID, to f- find out what's going on and where the needs are and where where are the opportunities to serve and to show something different.
0: What are some ways that people
1: can engage with you and your thinking? I have a podcast. So I co-host a podcast called Conversations of Grace with a friend who was a church planter for 10 years in Melbourne, has recently moved cities, uh, leads a, leads a large Baptist church. There's lots of podcasts in Australia for church leaders, But we're trying to do a podcast for church everyone's and help them sort of being a bit more fluent with the gospel to connect the the good news of God's grace and what God's done in Jesus to every area of life. So we talk about, you know, all the important topics. We talk about the war in Ukraine uh, and we interviewed a friend over there and we talk about aliens and (laughs) can we believe, can we think there's alien, life on other planets? Is that a, should Christians be Worried about that because NASA, you know, employed some theologians actually. Oh, really? When they la- yeah, they've launched this new telescope, and they they wanted some theologians to consult just in case it got things got out of hand. Um, Interesting. So
0: we talked yeah. about that
1: and everything in between. Conversations of grace. Conversations of grace. That's us. Yep. And the name of your book that's coming out. Sure. My book will be called The Dialectics of Discipleship, which is for for my sins, very Karl Barty (laughs) in its name. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And and I'm always keen to engage with people around kind of church planting and um, ministry in in cities, uh, Australian kind of perspective. So, uh, yeah, we've got City City Australia has all the details and ability to contact me through that. Awesome.
0: And any recommendations on resources related to to church planting? Something you would put in front of people uh, for those listening around the world? Yeah. the resources you found helpful.
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean, I uh, my go tos are like I love Center Church by by Tim Keller, and we we spend a lot of time with that. Uh, Linda Bergquist's thing. I think she's written something with you. Uh, yeah, that I that I refer to regularly. So I think Tim Moray maybe has a recent book, uh, Church Planting Without Losing Your Soul or something.
0: Good. Those are great. Thank you, Chris, for taking the time mm, to share with us today and appreciate the, the grace with which you engage church mm. planting in Australia. And, and really, we didn't even get to touch on sort of the wider Asia-Pacific context yeah. in which you're involved but grateful for for the way that god is using you thanks for mm. for taking the time today
1: oh thanks so much for having me michael really good
0: thanks once more to dr chris swan for being our guest on this episode if you have any questions or input for this podcast please write us at missioncity@radiusglobal.org. at radiusglobal.org Mission City is hosted by me, Michael Crane, and produced by Radius Global Cities Network and Scott Slusher. Today's episode was written by me and Scott Slusher. Thank you for listening. We would love it if you would take a moment to write a review and if you would also take a moment to share it with others. Until next time, love your cities well.